0: hello and welcome to episode 79 of gutter to gutter podcast before we jump into this episode let me remind you to head on over to our socials and be sure to give us a follow You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now also TikTok. I'd also like to remind you to head on over to certifiedprinting.com.au forward slash shop and look for gutter to gutter podcast merch if you would like to purchase yourself any of our merchandise. This is a great way to support the show and expose us to even more people. If you would like to take your level of support one step further, you can head over to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gutter to gutter podcast, where you will find the In The Gutter tier. What will you get from In The Gutter? You'll be able to find out ahead of time who will be appearing on the podcast and ask those guest questions directly. You'll also be acknowledged on the show for the questions and extra perks will be added over time. But with all of that out of the way, let's get into this week's episode. In this episode, I'm joined by a surprisingly young pro drifter in Patrick Bartley. Patrick and I got to talk about his entry into the world of drifting and how he managed to acquire one of the most unique drift cars in Australia, a carbon Kevlar C6 Corvette. The amount of work in this car to suit our Aussie aftermarket is insane, and aside from the car's silhouette, is a distant memory from how it was originally released in the USA. It was also really cool to hear about how Patrick's racing history came together to make this car possible. For a fairly young man, Patrick has truly lived a life like no other. From starting out racing at four years old to living at racetracks right across the country, it is safe to say that I was not expecting to hear these stories when I first reached out to Patrick. Without scooping my own episode any further, please enjoy this episode with Patrick Barley on Gutter Together Podcast. to another episode of gutter to gutter Podcast. I'm Static and in this episode I'm joined by Patrick Barley. Patrick, how are you, mate?
1: Yeah, absolutely great. Thanks for letting me in.
0: No worries, mate. Thanks for joining me. Did I pronounce your surname right to start with?
1: Yeah, yeah. Barley's the correct way to go.
0: No, nailed it. I um, I have a habit of not pronouncing surnames right.
1: I mean, you got to get some right. It just comes with it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
0: The good thing is, when I get them wrong, it makes me look like the idiot, so the guests can sort of sit there at ease a bit.
1: (laughs) And chuckle, of course. That's right. That's right. So,
0: awesome, mate. We'll start off like we do in every other episode. Uh, We'll get a bit of an introduction as to who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah, so um, my name's obviously Patrick Barley. I'm uh, 22 years old from the Northern Territory, and I'm uh, currently a pro drifter.
0: Awesome, mate. So... How did you how did you get along the the pro drift path at at a young at what would be considered a pretty young age I guess. Yes,
1: yeah, so I started uh, pro drifting when I was nineteen years old. So I came off a, a bit of a travel streak and um, decided to really knuckle down and go play with the big boys. And yeah, just hit up the the high tech guys and said, "Hey, yeah, I'm interested. What's the process? What are the what are the rules and regulations?" And from there it was build a whole new car and do it properly the first time
0: awesome man that's that's unreal um, we'll, we'll sort of jump back to, to yourself before we get right into the drifting stuff because there's so many questions I can ask <laughs> that um, what do you get up to when you're not drifting
1: Yeah, so by day I work in the insurance industry and um, for a particular motoring enthusiast related uh, insurance company that is very well known in the community. I I believe I'm
0: seeing it on your shirt. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. And um, so yeah, I spend a a lot of time talking to uh, passionate motoring enthusiasts about, you know, their, their vehicles and attending car events and, um, you know, doing the whole brand awareness thing. And yeah, I, prefer not to work on cars i prefer to just talk about them so um that's that's the job of my choice that's for sure yep
0: have you got a have you got a good team around you then that lets you just be able to drive and talk about cars rather than have to work on them or or are you still still thank goodness Yeah. yeah yeah
1: i've got one heck of a team that um i do work on them um when required but yeah my my team are absolutely like you couldn't ask for any better. Like yeah. they're just top notch.
0: <laughs> nice. So where where did the love of cars come from?
1: Yeah, so my family's been involved in racing from well and truly before I was a twinkle in my dad's eye. Um, I'm a third generation racer. Um, so it started on uh, mainly my mum's side, actually. Um, Gary Chippendall, who raced... Um, HQs, um, Oz cars at the Thunderdome, Speedway, um, a whole array of things. And uh, my mum herself raced sprint cars, go-karts. She actually raced go-karts with Jason Bright when he was up and coming, who had a stint in supercars. And then on my dad's side, he uh was riding when he was young for Kawasaki Australia. And then uh, got, got a few too many injuries and decided to roll cages where they go. And, um yeah, got into um group racing, so did a bit of autocross and then found his passion in Speedway and that's kinda where you know my my parents met and my first racing was at Speedway at the ripe age of four.
0: So were you just attending to, to watch at the time or were you actually racing at four?
1: I raced, yeah, yeah. Oh. So there's a particular category which is very popular in Victoria, which is where I'm originally from. Yeah. It's called quarter midgets, which is practically a, a go kart, and they have a, a roll cage shaped like a sprint car, and they've just got you know a couple horsepower little motors on them, and yeah, you can start at an extremely extremely young age, younger than actual go karts, and it's just dirt oval putting around. So yeah, cutting my teeth in it pretty early.
0: Nice. No, so do you. Would you even remember that early?
1: like Would, um, you, you,
0: know, like, would you actually have <laughs> recollections of the first time you drove one of those? You wouldn't, would you?
1: I remember very, very small snippets. Um, it's mainly the going into a corner and something going wrong flash memories that still pop into my brain every now and then. Um, but yeah, as I got a bit older, around the, the five, six years old, we actually ran them in Darwin for a little bit here, and many memories of of that. More so. Yeah.
0: So, that, so as long as you can remember, you've been behind the wheel of something.
1: Yeah, yeah, That's bikes crazy, man. and quads and, and quarter midgets, and yeah, played with it all.
0: That's awesome, man. You just blow my mind that you started <laughs> racing anything when you, when you were four.
1: I. It's obviously not a video stream, but I'll just get this here for you as a bit of, so this is, this is me at five years old. That is unreal. That is so so cool. Yeah. Practically a, um, a go-kart with a roll cage. So yeah, they're, they're crazy cool things and great for the kids as well.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So how do how do you go now seeing kids come up through that sort of stuff? Are you still sort of involved in that or?
1: Um, not as much anymore, Um, kind of doing adult things now, getting caught yeah. up in life and work and play. And, yeah, where where I can, you know, I, I try and go down and see a couple of friends' kids, you know, put around and stuff like that, which is great to see. But, yeah, yeah not as much as I'd like.
0: Nice. Nice. That is so cool. I'm, I'm blown away by that. <laughs> um. So what was your first car? Was it something – something special or was it just whatever
1: um my first actual car was a k55 corolla um so when nice. i moved into full-size speedway cars racing junior sedans yep k55 is where it was at
0: yeah nice
1: and yeah absolutely loved it to this day it was yeah pretty awesome yeah.
0: <laughs> well I imagine I imagine you'd have a story of um sort of growing up Because you started at four, you would have grown up driving, um, you know, like your paddock bashes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had an array of uh, after-school cars and weekend cars that we could go play around in. um, For in the in the later half of my school years, I actually had an S thirteen, which was. Absolutely gutted so it was as light as possible. And um yeah, get home and dad had a big asphalt yard for his trucking thing. And yeah, you go out there after school and try and not take too many uh, mills off the tires and go drift around for a couple of hours.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: And yeah, just all kinds of fun stuff over the years.
0: That's awesome, man. That's so good. I think I, I learned to drive when you could leave, legally learn to drive that's that's how we get it in the city you know what i mean like i mean i'm yeah. not really that much into the city but um we're on on the, the outskirts of sydney so yeah um yeah we didn't really have those opportunities you go I... so you go sort of south of where we were by 20 minutes and the kids in that in those areas got those opportunities but well, yeah we just didn't get that
1: yeah it's that's a possible. totally different dynamic up here in darwin like yeah Well, most of the people that I went to school with lived on five or 10 acre properties and everyone had quads or dirt bikes or, you know, a a paddock basher or something to play with. And you just have the space to do it. So, you know, we were probably 10 or 11 years old and, you know, one car we had, we had a EL Falcon and, you know, that was what it was. It, It just was the, the paddock car um you know suzuki Vitara's and all like it was just chaos <laughs> that's awesome
0: that's awesome so was that something that you, your old man would bring home and go here you go here's this this shit box now that you can go and have fun in or
1: um generally it would start as a a car that was used for for guests and stuff that were coming up for the speedway season and um yeah because they have the the Big, big speedway event uh, once a month, um, or for August every year, and for the last as long as I can remember, we've had southerners coming up and staying at my parents' house. So it was the guests would drive it when they're up here, and then when they're gone and the wet season comes in, it's just like, oh, well, we can go learn to drive in the uh, <laughs> in, in my parents' uh, backup car, and it, it turned into a bit more fun than desired sometimes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so it quickly became not a gas car anymore.
1: Yeah, look that there was a couple occasions where that may have occurred. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> nice. So I guess with with all of that um your 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 current daily driver is is that something sort of just just knock about, so you know, just to get you from here to there or have you got something nice and um like a decent sort of street car or
1: Yeah, I I did uh when I turned 19, I think it was, I got uh, the typical teen head kind of thing, and I uh, bought myself a 370Z as a daily drive manual, the most impractical car that I could have possibly purchased with the money that I had, and, um, God, it's good fun, but, yeah, (laughs) totally impractical. (laughs) Yes, you
0: you still got that, yeah?
1: Yeah, yep, been daily driving it for two and a bit years now. That was
0: on on my list. It was one of the cars I was going to be looking at. Um, when I sort of consolidate up, but with the kids and all that sort of gear, I can't take them anywhere um well, it's it's, just it the
1: circumstance, yeah the second sense like, that I got it under was hilarious um I was just fishing through Facebook I'd saved up all this money. I'm going to be like righty time to get myself a nice daily, and uh one of the army fellas up here um got his partner pregnant and um so he had to sell the sports car to have a family buy a realistic Should car do, do
0: the family thing yet?
1: yep yep and um yeah drove three hours to to go get it and paid a silly cheap price because it was in the middle of nowhere there was no one to buy it so it's just like yep here's all the money and um yeah got myself a nice little birthday present <laughs> Nice.
0: i'm not even going to ask what that price was because that'll probably make me cry Oh, yeah, it, it will definitely <laughs> make you cry.
1: Knowing how much they're worth now, like they've yeah. gone up in value up here since. And yeah, like 20 grand, not bad for a 370, like coilovers, exhaust, tuned, yeah. everything already done that a silly 19-year-old could possibly want to do to it. And I just get the keys and let's go.
0: <laughs> that's That's awesome. And with that comes that turnkey reliability too, you know, you don't have to if to have that old shit box that I guess a lot of us would have started out in, and you've had all those in the paddock, so.
1: Yeah, well, the the first ever daily that I had um, was actually kind of a hammy down. Um, my brother had a thirty four Skyline non turbo automatic, um, and he got rear ended in Victoria. And um, so the insurance company did it as an economical write-off because they weren't worth anywhere near as much back in like 2014. Oops. And um, yeah, just got rear-ended by a truck. And yeah, like up here, you're allowed to drive at 16 and nine months. Um, so I got the skyline. My dad and I repaired it, and you know it started out as you know thousand dollar write-off from the insurance company. Ended up daily driving that for four years, and. Man, what a what a thing they are. They're awesome cars. <laughs> but yeah. towards the end, the gearbox started having a few problems because got a sixteen year old irresponsible behind the wheel of a skyline doing typical things, you know? Yeah. The the mechanics started to go a little bit and it was at the point now where I gotta spend more money fixing it than I do you know, the car's worth, so just go buy something.
0: <laughs> no, so did you just keep that or did you sort of just move that and kick that along to buy something else?
1: Unfortunately, I um, got the ultimatum from my parents that I wasn't allowed to have two cars sitting on their block. And, um, yeah, I, I sadly had to part way with my first car. Yeah.
0: So there's there's a lot of us that regret cars, and, and I have many of them. Yeah. <laughs> way too many.
1: Oh, the heartbreak is seeing how much they're worth. Now I've been wanting to buy one of them back for so long. And it's just like, they're, they're a $20,000 car now. Yeah. And it's just like knowing how much I sold it for, I feel a bit gypped after all that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So with, um, well, sort of coming up to, to your drifting, did you get into any of the street stuff like, or, or you just, just kept everything sort of on a track or,
1: um, well, I was in a bit of an odd situation when I started drifting, so um, how I got into drifting initially was um, I was actually sitting at Speedway about to go out for a Speedway uh, race, and I don't know if you know Drift Cat and the VK Commodore Twin Turbo LS um, checkered tuning car, and um, they had the drift invitational in 2014. I was sitting in my car ready to go and she comes in at about 160, 170 into turn one of hidden Valley, just blazing it as you know you would with that much horsepower. And I was just like, yeah, damn, I got to do that. <laughs> um, so at 14 years old, uh, I got into drifting. So I was doing track drifting before I did, well, not not saying that i did anything but before i had the ability to go drifting on the street yeah, yeah i was already doing it on the track so not That's, really
0: <laughs> not really but but really
1: yeah <laughs> a, a 16 year old with a skyline it was na it was auto it, yeah. it wasn't going to do much anyways <laughs> doing the best you could <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah pretty nice.
0: much so when when was that what what year was that that you got into drifting
1: yeah, two thousand and fourteen is when I started. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Started nice and young. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that was that was the catalyst, was it? Seeing seeing that oh, that's okay, that's what I'm doing now.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a bit of a change of scene jumping from the Speedway. So at that point I'd already raced for ten years in Speedway. Um, obviously in quarter midgets and then jumping over to junior sedans. And yeah, when, when I seen Driftcat you know, absolutely go on him on Hidden Valley. I was absolutely the catalyst. I'm just like, we, we what is it? Why aren't we doing that? Um, yeah. Absolutely.
0: So how did that conversation go down with the parents?
1: Um, better better than expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my, my parents, uh, my dad runs his own company and my mum works for my dad and uh, they thankfully had the opportunity to be like, you know, if you have the desire to do it, we'll give it a shot. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, you yeah, know, I've done everything from BMX racing. I've played ball sports. I've done, you know, ju- they've, they've given me every opportunity to try everything that I've wanted to. And, yeah, this is the one that stuck.
0: <laughs> nice. So you started in that, in that auto skyline. Yep. Did you move on to another car from there?
1: Well, when I started drifting, I didn't actually even have the Skyline yet cuz I got oh, the okay. Skyline when I was 16.
0: Oh, so, yeah.
1: My um yeah, the timeline is all over the shop. I apologize. <laughs> but yeah, my first ever drift car was um we picked it up pretty cheap, had a SR20, uh T8 T28 turbo, just a set of coilovers, bolt-in roll cage and yeah, that's kind of where I learned to to well, what I learned to drift in. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, that was the the first car of many.
0: <laughs> first of many. So take us through some of the cars along the way.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, obviously my first car was the old SR-180. Um, yep. After uh, about a season of that, we we tend to try something, upgrade, or try something different. So then I went into a LS-180, um, so just an LS-1 swapped 180 SX, no crazy front end angled kits, um, no massive grip cars, just a straight tie thing. Um, and that was the first V8 that I had. Did a a season in that and then we went radio, time to go steering lock, put a big old lock kit in there, started doing all right in that and then went radio. Well that this is as far as that car's gonna get. So we built a S thirteen, which is probably to date my most successful car ever. Um that started out life as a you know, L98 S13 wise fab all round, and then progressively change motors, change suspension. And yeah, from there we built V2 of that car, um, which is the the one that we built for high tech as my, uh, first S13 coupe didn't have the required roll cage to do the national events. And yeah, run a few seasons in my, um, first pro pro car and then from there we uh built my current beast the uh c6 corvette
0: nice so where where does where does one find a c6 corvette to cut up and make a drift car out of
1: good question um in a small country town in victoria whilst you're driving back from sydney Motorsports park um (laughs) yeah it was um unfortunate story how it it all occurred, but, um, yeah, we right time, right place. Um, uh, an old fella in country Victoria was, um, shipping in C6, che- like, wrecks from america and because they're all fiberglass body as soon as they catch on fire they're just gone but the suspension the chassis rails the running gear all all is salvageable to a degree so he's bringing all these wrecks and putting c2 and c3 bodies on the c6 chassis and um, just like resto modding and unfortunately he um, passed away and his family was left with all of these old Corvettes and bits and bobs. So, yeah, we went through and um, did a bit of a parts pick of what we could get and we started with a chassis and yeah, that nice. was it.
0: <laughs> Unreal because it's one of those things like it's it's a standout car on a track, you know, like there's only one like it at the moment and yeah. there's not, not too many around the world. I mean, there's definitely a lot in the States now after sort of the success Matt Fields had with his. Um, you know, you've got, uh, Dave Egan of Drift Games who has his, um, and you know, obviously you know, the bu- a bunch of them in the States, but you don't see, you don't see them in Australia. So it's a very standout car on a track.
1: Yeah. It was, um, a bit interesting because when we were kind of building it, I was messaging Matt Field about, you know, Oh, where, where do you get this? What's, what's that? And, you know, he, uh, sent me. Uh, the, the link to HGK and uh, Christoph Bluss I ended up speaking to out of Latvia. Um, and then when I was building mine, I was posting, you know, pictures and whatnot and Dave Egan started following me on Instagram and he was keeping up with where my build was and, and he started his and yeah, you know, it it all kind of happened around the same time with the
0: yeah.
1: the C6 bubble. It just kind of happened around that 2020 mark when we started getting it together.
0: Yeah, nice. so that would have been around the time Dave Egan was building his, yeah, correct. Like, like at the exa- almost the exact same time. That's crazy.
1: I started mine, and it would have been about two months later after we started. He started his, yeah. yeah. So it was just all all happened at the same time. All of these builds popping up, and I was just like, everyone's getting the, the ideas happening.
0: Yeah. So what what are some of the the issues you had to face, sort of building with with a platform like that? Because they're, they're not your usual platform, are they? They're to like a talk tube with a gearbox at the rear.
1: Yeah, so we built ours a lot different to everyone else's. Um, we had to keep the mindset of we're in Australia. Um, there's maybe 30 or 40 in Australia. There's no wrecking yards with a C6 sitting in yeah. there or you, you can't just jump onto Facebook Marketplace and... <laughs> find one, you know, under 25 grand like you can in the States. So we, we had to think about sustainability of running a race program. We had to think about past parts accessibility was the, the main concern. Um, and you know, what's going to work, how is it going to work for us? Cause we're, we're in, like, Dave is in a similar situation in Ireland where, you just can't get bits and bobs. Like it's a six week wait from the States for anything. If something goes pear shaped So we did a few things, especially in the rear end and the front end as well. Like all the suspension is custom. It's not C6 suspension. Yeah. We, we did a front gearbox instead of a rear gearbox. There's no um, torque tube and yeah, just everything's it's a C6 chassis with a C6 body. Then the rest of it is us.
0: <laughs> that's that's the only Corvette about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. pretty much.
0: <laughs> well, give us a bit of a rundown of the car, you know, sort of front to back, as far as you know, what's in it, running gear, all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. So, so to you know, stand back and look at it. You know, you've got a um, carbon Kevlar body, um, which was made by HGK in Latvia, um, or OCT Compassons is their their shoot off now, um, and yeah awesome body kit like I've this is the first like carbon kevlar thing that I've ever seen in person and it's crazy to look at so yeah we um got that shipped over from Latvia and the the body itself weighs a massive 38 kilograms wow so you take the the doors the quarters the roof everything like the box that the the body kit came in from HDK was heavier than the panels inside that's amazing um, like, yeah, 38 kilos for the body. And then working down, we've um, got a full chromoly roll cage throughout, which through our years of drifting, we've found out how to build a roll cage to make the car twist and turn like we want it to. Um, and yeah, that was built by my dad and Tony. Um, uh, Tony is another speedway racer that we you know, store the Corvette and my brother's drift car at his workshop in Victoria. Um, So yeah, Dad and Tony whipped out the roll cage in (laughs) quick time. They're pros at it by now. Um, And then looking to the driveline, I run a Speedway motor, God forbid. Um, We trialed with sprint car motors for a little bit there, um, but ended up going with a 434 cubic inch uh, alloy block motor out of a dirt late model, um, which... At full, you know, race tune, we're running about nine hundred um, wheel horsepower. Um, so it's nat- naturally aspirated, big carby, old school technology. Uh, like my my crew has a, a medium age of about fifty years plus, I think, at the moment. Yep. Um, so we got all the old boys out there with screwdrivers tuning it up. Um, <laughs> <an easy screwdriver. laughs> yep, yep, no computer, nothing. It's old school. <laughs> um yeah into the transmission i'm running a Samsona's sequential five speed um the rs90 which is the bigger one that they make at the moment um yeah awesome piece of machinery um also manufactured near latvia i think so there's more europe in the car than there is america at the moment (laughs) um and then obviously um winter's quick change in the rear end which is pretty much a must have for fine tuning and just getting the car to to rev and behave with the throttle like we want it to uh, suspension wise we're running a kind of wise fab front end i say that as in we had an s13 front end and turned it into a double wishbone setup uh, we're running a nascar steering rack with that as well so it's kind of a development thing that we're trying with it at the moment. We've, we've had some problems with it. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, we're slowly smoothening out. So instead of having a full turn and a half to get to steering lock, it's now one turn from full lock to center. So just trying out a few different things and seeing what's the most comfortable in that regard. Uh, rear end is a S13 rear cradle. Uh, so a rear subframe and an S13 wise fab. Then we're running a QA1 double or triple adjustable shocks throughout. So yeah, all, all flash bits of gear. <laughs>
0: that's awesome. That's, that's a, a full on Frankenstein of, of, yeah, like yeah, different parts of the world. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. My dad did most of the build. Um, he, is he can't control himself when it comes to building something. I'm I'm very thankful to have him supporting me through my drifting. He is a Marvel engineer. Like, he, with our steering setup, he was getting, like, the geometry to the point where it was so good that it was causing more problems. Like, and just, he he can't stop thinking about tinkering with these race cars and he's raced for 35 plus years. So he's got all this experience of this works, that doesn't work. What can we try? And he's got Tony uh, there to bounce ideas off. And yeah, between the two of them, yeah, they've built a, a monster to say the yeah. least. I like
0: the cars like a bit of a Guinea pig for their, their ideas.
1: Oh, yeah. It's just yeah. all their, their fruit of thought is that car. All the yeah. crazy ideas that they've raced in, you know, black track racing or speedway where the rules bound you from doing this particular modification or you can't sit yeah. the motor that far back or you can't play with a suspension. Like the fact that drifting is as open rule book as it is, they just went absolutely crazy.
0: <laughs> awesome. That's really cool. What people can do when they're not limited, huh?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So, what what made you run that type of motor? In yeah, you know, in an age where everything's computerized and it's it's you know everything's laptop driven and and whatever else, going old school was it just that that sort of history? I guess, like the year old man and
1: yeah, pretty much like in in speedway, I raced a, a Carby four cylinder motor in. Um, when it caught a midgets, I raced a, a carby single cylinder motor. Um, we, we tried with the turbo stuff, so I've driven C A S R R B J Z L S. I've I've driven it all, and when it comes to big cubic inch, you know, if you get the carby right, you're you're not going to have any flooding issues and stuff like that. And with the power curve that these motors have, like they're, they're big cubes, but we can rev them to nine and a half plus thousand RPM. And the power is so nice throughout because you've got the huge cubes for the torque, but then you can really spin them and get that horsepower happening. It's just like you you don't need to click another gear. You can just ease the throttle on and the drivability of them is Next to none, there's limited clutch kicking, there's no carrying on. It's you know, why do burnout cars run big cube NA motors or big cube blown motors because there's no lag, there's it's just all there all the time, and you can really work and you can drive throughout the rev range to do make it do what you need to do. Yeah,
0: so have you thought about like a blower on it or anything like that, or or no? <laughs>
1: No, we are in the odd situation that we're running a two, four, five tire against cars that are running two, six, five tires and we're as fast. So we don't want to add more grip to the car, needed, yeah. need more power <laughs> to add to the car. And we're actually saving so much money a year by running a smaller tire yeah. um, because we we've got that much mechanical grip. And we've got the perfect power to weight, to grip balance. And it's just like, we're just finessing that now as to, you know, what, what's feasible? Why, why do you need more horsepower? Why can't you just take weight out of it and improve your power to weight ratio that way? Yeah. With how agile we want these cars to have, you know, you're better off taking a hundred kilos out than you are adding a hundred horsepower.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Nice, man that's unreal. What a, um, what a cool car, you know, like, like, like I was saying, you just don't see it, but so actually see it. And, and in carbon Kevlar hmm.
1: sitting
0: around and, um, you know, I I sort of watching that at world time attack, I'm like, I'm, I'm expecting maybe somewhere like a 30 to 40 year old dude to get out of it. You know what I mean? And it wasn't at all. I'm like, well, what the hell? What What kind of reality have I just jumped into here?
1: Yep. Yep. You're seeing a kid 21 years old driving this thing around. Yep. Yep. Causing a bit of chaos.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what was it like, um, competing at world time attack?
1: It was a dream come true. Like it was next level. So obviously getting into drifting pretty young. Um, what, where I started researching drifting was going on speed hunters uh, website and, and getting on there once a year, you'd get the, the speed hunters coverage of world time attack. And so, you know, for what is, so yeah, since between 2014 to 2020, I've been looking at the speed hunters coverage, watching the live streams doing Like it was like Christmas, like world time attack. Um, you know, I, I had a few friends, Mitch Doyle and Danny Probert, who I drifted with up here who attended for the previous years. And, um, yeah, I, um, unfortunately didn't get the invite in the, in, you know, in the later years when we were still running pro, but yeah, getting the invite from Dan Mackey was like incredible. Like we built this car to run at world time attack and equivalent events. So yeah, like it was um, just to get invited. It was crazy. So, yeah, we um, we ended up making our way across from Melbourne to Sydney in the truck and um, unloaded. And it was a very uh, neatly run event. There were a few s- thrills and spills uh, from some other competitors in the practice sessions. But, yeah, it was just bam, 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 get your, get your runs, get off the track, let these grip boys go out and do their thing. We were definitely not the the star of that particular show, which is understandable. Um, The, the grip boys are the, are the main uh, show there, but yeah, it was probably the most well-organized events I've ever attended. And then, you know, get to the drifting side of things. It was a a layout that I've never done before. It was, we didn't quite have the car where we wanted it to. And yeah, got to drive against um, Glenn uh, Mitch Jeffrey, uh, God, I'm starting to remember a flash. Then we had Mitch Jeffrey and then we had Glenn Ormerod and then we had, um, uh, Luke, which I don't want to touch on that too much. Um, and then we obviously had a Brad in the top two and, um, yeah, there was some stars in the pits, and some some faces that I've never seen and yeah. people that I got to meet and yeah it was yeah I it was it's like one of those things where I try and remember it now and it all just happened so fast and everything yeah. it's it's kind of all a bit of a blur <laughs>
0: yeah I was I was out there um you know shooting shooting photos sort of just practicing some photography because I've only really just picked it up this year and um, I was sort of walking up walking up. The, like towards the, towards the hill. And I see you and flash coming around the, around that, that last corner. And you're just banging, like literally banging on his door. I'm like, Oh my God, why is my camera not out right now? <laughs> that looked amazing, man.
1: Oh, uh, it was great. I but like, you obviously don't see these things in the background, but before, um, like I've, I've known flash through the high tech series. And before I would go up, like, uh, we're, we're pretty friendly. So I'd go up to him and be like, radio. I'm going to give you the best lead run that I can give you. Let's, let's, let's be fair. I'm going to be a bit faster. And we were just going back and forth and having a great chat. And he was, he was getting a bit nervous about doing the, going into the pro cars. And I'm just like, you, you have the chance to beat me because I can make the mistake of being the faster car and I can spin out trying to avoid you and i predict how slow you're going to be. And uh, yeah, ended up, just matching his pace right where I was pushing him around the corner, both on that practice run and in the actual battle and just, yeah, I hit him a bit, a little, little bit too hard on the actual competition. We just (laughs) bum bum tapped each other crossing the line, but yeah, he, he was a blast to drive with. That was like a one. He just did exactly what he needed to do. And I'm just like, yeah, let me just come up on the inside and we'll just, we'll just keep this happening.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It looks so good, man. Well, that's exactly what it was about. He was, he was ecstatic. He was slapping his roof before he'd even finished his drift. Like he was, he was all about it. it was oh,
1: yeah, it was. Yeah. There was excitement in the pits after between him, his crew and our crew. He was yeah. absolutely loving it.
0: <laughs> yeah, awesome. Awesome, man. So we'll sort of get run backwards a bit. Who were some of the guys you you looked up to early on when you started drifting?
1: Yeah. So when I, when I first started, um, it, it was actually the first day that I ever drifted was um, Danny Probit in the, in the mighty XD Falcon. Um, yeah. He happened to be there in his non-pro car. He's got a, another XD with a baron motor in it as well. And um, yeah, I, I'd seen him on the racetrack with Drift Cat, obviously. VK and NXT on the racetrack was kind of
0: mortal enemies. Pretty,
1: yeah. pretty awesome. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, Danny just happened to be there. It was just a skid pan day at my first ever drift event, and um, he'd watch me, you know, have have a little bit of a play in my 180. And um, he had a he came and had a talk to me. Said radio, "Well, these are some pointers." And my brother and I were sharing my 180 at the time. And my brother was out there, and Danny's just like, well, do you want to drive the XD? And I'm just like, absolutely. <laughs> so my, my first ever day drifting was having Danny Probert mentor me in his car. And, like, since then, you know, he was the the current championship leader in Darwin. He had this, you know, pro crazy car in the works. Um, you know, he was – still is, you know, one of my my mentors – and yeah, like locally, yeah, Danny's the man. Um, in the scheme of like all-time drivers, it's it's hard to to find one particular driver that I particularly like. Like, I I like the what what drifting is at its core in in the scheme of it being about personality and style and all that kind of stuff, influenced by so many different drivers. Um, like, there's. Uh, so many Japanese drivers that I take influence from, but then I look at Von Gitten in America running the RTRs, just the, the all horsepower, all grip, you know, pro, like full race car driver style teams and just such a variety. Um, it's it's hard to pick one who I truly am influenced by, but yeah, Danny's the the one that's been there all along talking me through the way and yeah, I, I don't know where we would be without Danny.
0: That's awesome. So, um, I imagine you get to spend a, a fair bit of time sort of driving with him as well. Um,
1: initially. Yeah. 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 So, um, you yeah, know, my, my first ever drift day I got to drive the XD and then as I kind of started coming through the ranks and, Every time we'd we'd make an, a rendition with the car, it was radio. Let's go to learn how to do chasing, and it was get behind Danny in his XD, and you know try and follow him through the corners, and learning how to, you know, foot brake in the chase, and play around. And over the years, it got to the point where I'm just like radio. Well, I'm, well, I'm actually competitive. Um, and yeah, I, I came up against him in the finals in a couple of local rounds and he was still winning every championship that there was up here. And um, yeah, the I eventually beat him. I got one. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's just been crazy, you know progressing with him. Yep.
0: Well, so what was what was he like um, after you took that win over him?
1: I think he was happier than I was at the time.
0: I was going to say that would probably be a bit of a uh, like a proud dad moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you, you mentor someone, you give him so much of your, like you invest so much of your personal time and, you know, he would sit down for my dad and talk about, you know, what Danny's tried and what my dad wants to try. And, you know, he, he spent countless hours just letting, like leading me, just letting me chase him. And, you know, I'd lead him and I'd, I'd, feel the pressure of someone behind me and just the personal investment of his time and effort. And then for me to finally get one over on him, it was, yeah, definitely one of those proud dad moments. Yeah, I nice. Nice. <laughs> so
0: what tracks are available to you guys in the Northern Territory?
1: Uh, we have one, um, <laughs> unlike most other States of Australia. Um, yeah. We have Hidden Valley uh, Motorsports Park, yep. which is a, crazy awesome venue it's obviously the only track so it's where v8 supercars is held and all kinds of national events and it is a a grade venue like it's up there with the best of the best like the pits are awesome the racetracks like only you know 20 15 20 years old at this point in time now and the grass is always green no matter what the weather is and it's yeah a good venue
0: no, it sounds like I need to get up to there. <laughs> um, so how many, how many days a year do you guys get to sort of um, use it for drift as, as it got its own sort of standalone drift facilities, a little bit like Sydney motorsport park does or not really? Not
1: really. Um, we have two, like the local club has two different style events that they run. They run a, a skid pen style event, which is just using the car park. Um, they have a small wet skid pen. It's, maybe a third of what sydney wet skid pan is wow um like it's it's very small like you can do a figure eight and that's about the extent of it um and like a, a very small figure eight at that um but yeah the most of it was just dry skid pans in car parks and um they actually have a grading system up here in the territory so they would make uh you start on the wet skid pan just getting the basics and then you'd work your way onto the dry skid pan and once they thought you were had had your beans together enough they'd let you go out on the the big track and do solo passes and then progress into doing tandems so yeah, yeah the the club had the grading system down pat for young drivers like me who were coming through the ranks and very much learning and you know it's still to this day it's running great
0: I think that's um a lot of what's needed at Sydney Motorsport Park too, to be honest, because, you know, I don't know how well you, you you know about it, but we've just lost any access to the main track, which you probably would have known coming into round five at high tech.
1: Yeah. That's um, pretty much the main reason why I didn't attend the jelly bean actually, yeah. um, is yeah. The cluster of having 60 odd cars, try and get onto the the jelly bean, having some practice time. just wasn't going to happen. It's yeah it's unfortunate the circumstances behind it and it makes a lot of people upset when you have to have a grading system. Like, don't get me wrong. There was times where people just wouldn't understand why it's a beneficial thing. But when you've got basic car control started in a controlled environment slowly, and then you're working your way up to big tracks, it's not like, you know, me at 14 years old could just pay my entry, rock up and, Go learn to drift on a full fledged racetrack with twenty cars behind me. Yeah, um, it. You, I understand the frustration for adults who are trying to drift and just want to go straight in, but at the same time, it's it's just not feasible. Like it's you lose racetracks over it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, look, it's it's not the only reason, but it's it's
1: contributing it, factor. Yeah,
0: absolutely, for sure.
1: And even Um, then, you know, Queensland with the tyre barriers on the outside of the racetrack, um, Western Australia had a stint of it as well, where they kicked um, the the club off the main track from too much grass damage. Uh, we came very close to it up here at one point in time with the the boys that had been drifting for a while getting a bit loose. And, yep. you know, just prior to V8 supercars, they got the smack on the wrist and told to fix the track edges and be sensible or our privileges will be revoked, which when you're a venue owner, that's fair enough.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I imagine that's where you get like the bulk of your seat time then?
1: Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I currently average about six events a year. Um since the old spicy cough kicked in. Um I haven't had a race car in the state to drive. Um and yeah, I went when I before I went pro drifting, we would average about, you know, twelve to sixteen events a year. Um, you know, up here they did a heap of skid pan, like stadium stuff and then track stuff. And yeah, as soon as we went pro it's about three and a half thousand dollars each way to bring the car from Melbourne to Darwin. Um, yeah. So it becomes very financially unsuitable. So yeah, we leave the car down there. I fly to the race car when we go do racing events. Um, but no, I spend far too much time in my simulator. Um, which I decided to set up when the old spicy cough kicked in. And, uh, yeah, since then I've been clocking anywhere between uh, four to way too many hours a week average in in (laughs) the sim. Um, And it was actually really good getting into sim racing because my brother, who is quite a bit older than me, uh, who previously raced Speedway and go-karts as well, um, decided to get a sim at the same time. And he's a lot more into computers than I am. And um, I taught him how to drift on a set of Corsa. And that was like a family reunion bonding moment. And um, yeah, for the last two years, my brother and I twice a week or more often have been sim racing together. So that's where at least 90% of my seat time comes from.
0: That's unreal. I mean, it's, it's a common theme uh, when I speak to drifters, you know, the sim... The sim is what helps them. So how, how have you found that's helped you?
1: It's crazy. Like, I mean, f- the the biggest challenge that I had of late years was going to right hand, uh, from right hand to left hand drive, because Corvette's left hand drive, yep. um, which I personally pr- um, prefer over right hand drive for drifting, um, which is some prefer, well, most prefer right. Right. I don't <laughs> I think I've had too many concussions from BMX racing over the years. I've been rewired a couple of times. Yep, I've so had everything few, I've everything had those myself from the same yep, thing so. Everything makes sense to be sitting on the other side in my rewired brain. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like it's just taking everything back to the basics. Thankfully, we met a couple of guys who made cars in simulators, so we we got them to fine tune the cars to to feel like my kind of car. And I put maybe, oh, I don't even know. I'd average 200 laps every time that I went on the simulator. And, you know, Queensland Raceway earlier this year is probably the best example that I have. I've I'd never driven at Queensland Raceway before. Uh, for a month prior, I did probably 100 to 200 laps a day on the simulator um, in the Corvette that we had made in the sim. And I top qualified. Like ne- never been to Queensland before first qualifying session out of the gate, top qualified. And it's just like, that shouldn't have happened, but you know, it, it gets the basics into your brain. Choose this line, flick the car here. When, when you're doing, the, yeah, it just yep. etches the muscle memory. And then when you get to go do it in real life, it was just like, yep, cool. I know what to do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Nice. So is it, is it more about like the track markers and all that sort of gear. And, and obviously, you know, like if you've never been there, you don't know the nuances of the track. You know, you don't know how yeah, how that, an apex might sort of cut in on itself or something like that. So doing it 200 laps at a time, you're going to yeah. learn that stuff pretty quick. Absolutely. Um So so you know what the thing looks like with your eyes closed when you get there before you drive it. Um, yeah, that's it. it. Like- is it kind of all of that sort of stuff mixed together that sort of helps you get good with yeah.
1: it? Pretty much like um, Sean from uh, ADC who made the the Queensland raceway in the sim. um, He had some contacts up there. So they were putting um, certain landmarks in the correct spot to kind of just keep, you know, actually have visual places to mark from. And I'm very much a get in the race car turn my brain off and just let my body drive. Like I've, I've done enough laps over the years to, to know what the, my foot's going to do for the throttle. My hand knows when to grab the handbrake. My, my foot knows to what, yeah, it it just all happens itself. So if I can get in and just switch my brain off, you know, I don't have a turbo to try and focus on keeping alive or, you know, I, I don't have anything that's like the car's, that overbuilt that I don't have to think about driving it. And with the way my dad and Tony set it up, there whizzes with suspension and it just practically drives itself at this point in time. So I can just focus on, yep, put the car there, put the car there, you yeah, know, adjust here slightly. And you know, when you do that many laps of a layout, you don't think about it because it's just muscle memory at that point in time. It just all happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's unreal. I um, I've unfortunately sold my sim a while a while back to sort of focus on getting the podcast itself set up. Because for a long time I was sitting behind my steering wheel, like I, I would have been sitting in the seat behind you. Yeah, yeah. You yep. you're looking down the barrel of the camera and you are seeing a steering wheel in front of me <laughs> while I'm podcasting, you know, and and it was it was all well and good, like, but I just I didn't use it enough. And um now I'm sort of looking to sell up everything because I've got a um a, a Nissan Navara, a D22 Navara, 2 wheel yep. that I that I've built for drift and I've used it twice.
1: <laughs> yep, good, gets a bit good, like that. Good
0: trick, yeah. Um and I live 30 minutes from Sydney Motorsport Park, you know what I mean? Like so it's there's no reason I can't get there more. I just haven't. So um but yeah, I'm looking mm-hmm. to sort of get sort of yeah, move all that on and and focus even harder now on the podcast. So mm-hmm. I think a simulator is definitely in the, in the future for me.
1: Yeah. Like I, um, last year did something that I never thought I'd be able to. So, uh, you know, obviously racing sprint, uh, speedway when I was young, both of my parents and my pop race sprint cars, which have you've seen sprint cars before. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so like 900 horsepower, 670 kilos or something, like just absolutely crazy. So since I was a kid, I really, really wanted to race sprint cars. And um, yeah, whilst Melbourne was going through their last couple of stints of lockdowns, um, I got the chance where a sprint car being stored at my parents' place driver was stuck in Victoria and I got to drive it. (laughs) So I did... I reckon for the, the month prior, again, two to four hours a day, nonstop in the sim, just like sprint car racing on our race and just bang, bang, bang. And just, I got in the sprint car first time ever and wasn't that slow. um, Like I was keeping up with some of the back markers and yeah, like. It's, you you just can't do that. Like it's not possible. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. And the yeah, like that was one of the moments where I'm just like, yeah, this sim stuff actually works. Like it's yeah. it's actually a good training resource. It's realistic. It's not a video yeah. game anymore.
0: So how did how did you find um, going from your car to jumping in the in the sim and sort of losing that motion and and sort of part of that feel? Did you find that was easy enough to get over or?
1: Yeah, look, it took a while. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I started to to piece together. It's it's funny, like you you talk to someone that has hearing loss or sight loss or something, and they they pick up another sense here and there, and they they use that in, to replace the sense that they've lost. It's like in dr- sim drifting, you don't have the the g forces physically, you know getting your body you, you can't feel the grip level through your butt like you can in a real car and yep. and like you gotta you gotta listen through your headset you gotta feel what the force feedback's giving you and you gotta like you know, you're pulling teeth trying to get any feedback through the simulator and then when you get into a real car it's like over sensitizing it's just like oh my god i can feel everything yeah. again yeah um but same deal if you can you know do an obstacle course with a blindfold and if you can get it right when you take the blindfold off you're going to do it better absolutely so you know when you're looking at it like that you know you you drive desensitized and you get good at it you throw all those sensories back in and yeah it helps
0: (laughs) so how how long did it take you to sort of get used to it um you know that that desensitization (laughs) i guess
1: uh a little longer than i hoped to be perfectly honest like i started with you know cheap and nasty thrustmaster steering wheel like you know, a, a facebook marketplace someone was getting rid of it kind of thing and it was belt driven it was very slack on the force feedback and without that force feedback it really t- it took me like 2 months to really kind of get the actual feel for it and then i went and bought a half decent um fanatec um csl wheel and since then it's just like it provides so much more feedback that yeah. i can actually get the the sense through the steering wheel yeah. now as to what's happening and well, that made a nine day difference
0: yeah that's really all you've got as far as that sort of sensory isn't it that, that's that's the really only, like only feedback you really get is from yeah. that wheel so
1: and they've got the audio pretty good on the the sims at the moment so you can kind of hear and you can feel, yep. you can you can use your revs in your ears, and then you can feel the car get light through the steering. It's when you're you're getting a bit too happy throttled, and yep. like you're just yeah pulling at teeth to try and get feedback. Like you're so desensitized. It took me ages. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's one of the first things I noticed when I when I jumped on. When I'm like, oh cool, I can just drive this like a like a car now. I'll drive it like I normally would. But no, nah. mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you're not. And I was doing yeah, like um, for the most part it was like Forza Motorsport Seven. So it was, they're not. It's not extremely simulator heavy. It's it's a little more arcadey, but it's still more simulator than not. So, and even with that, you know, like you you kind of missing that depth as well. Like your your depth perception is not there because you're looking at a flat screen. And -hmm. although you know, like the the games do the best they can to make stuff three D now, it's not. Yeah. So, you know, you've really got to then sort of nail down those those corner markers and, and all that sort of thing to know where to turn in and where to break and all that sort of gear. So I imagine for, for your drifting, it's, it's much the same, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I was silly with my tax return when I started drifting and I decided to buy a, a Samsung Ultra Wide, the 49-inch one with a 1000R curve. Yeah. Um and it's, it's actually, if you're sitting in your seat, it's exactly the same distance from your eyes the whole way around. Yeah. Um, and that was the game changer. Like that made a night and day difference. Having that full perspective and the widened field of view, that really gave it the depth and that extra little bit that I needed to get the full feeling of it. Once I had that, yeah, it was on.
0: Yeah. Have you, have you mucked around with, with VR at all?
1: Oh no. I I dwindled in it a tiny bit. Um, but man, I get C6 standing up in yeah. the bathtub, let alone getting a set of VR goggles on. Yeah. It's um yeah, it's easy queasy for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the same dude. I um if I'm in the passenger seat of a car and I'm like trying to read a book or something, man, inside of three minutes I'm sitting on You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just no yep. so I've yeah, I know the second I put something like that on it's it's over.
1: So like I don't it's to stay well away from it. It's awesome, but yeah, it's just my my tummy can't deal with it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's the what's the difference like between um? Is is there much of a difference between sort of you drifting and jumping into that sprint car? Like is there? I imagine there's there's obvious differences. There's there's going to be obvious differences, but were they that far apart?
1: Um, in the scheme of steering input, like. It's it's very similar. Um, like you spend a lot of time chasing the wheel. Um, you know they're they're very different configurations. Like firstly, in a drift car, you're laying back, you're all relaxed. In a sprint car, you're sitting upright. Like you've got your back against a wall, and your let yeah. your hips and your body are ninety degree. And then the steering wheel is pretty much laid out flat in front of you. Yeah. So, and to accelerate, you have got to push your foot down and the brake, you got to push your forward. So it's like your sitting position is really awkward, which thankfully I had a different seat at the sim at the time. And I got to recreate that, but um, like the, the feeling of the powder weight, like the Corvette's got enough horsepower that it's closer than most. Um, but like driving it, like you're in a sprint car, you have 1.6 tons of downforce at the end of the straightaway on the drift car. You maybe have what, 100, 200 yeah. kilos of like aerodynamic downforce. Um, like it's like the side bite going into the corners. Like your your sidewalls is, you know, a couple, couple inches high. You know, you got all this tire to kind of bash into the, the corner and it just doesn't get unstuck unless you're on the absolute slick and nasty stuff. It just keeps, keeps pulling like that. It just doesn't run out of legs.
0: What are some of your favourite tracks to, to sort of compete
1: at? Um, that's a good question. Um, i've I've had to play at a few now, um, and I would probably have to say it's a hard one between Sydney Motorsports Park North and barbagallo and WA, of all places. Right. Okay. Um, they. I'd have to say Western Australia, Barbagello doing Cat's Corner. Um I don't know if you've seen the video of Mitch Larner doing the three sixty entry yep. and then going up the, the hill. That I did it once and then I tried to set a set of tires in one lap in the old red car. Um and like you're throwing the current at the best part of like one hundred eighty, I guess I was doing. Everyone all the local boys are going so much faster than me. But you throw it in and then you just from the point where you get back on the gas at the bottom of the hill, you got to zigzag all the way up and then around the corner and you just full throttle. Like I was valve bouncing at 9,000 something RPM, just frying the tires off it and going from lock to lock. And it was, it just kept going faster. And yeah, by, by the end of the run, there was one, one run for a set of tires and it was like, one of those experiences. that's just like, holy dolly, Like that was yeah. incredible. Like I'd never been so fast, so much angle before. And it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty memorable. So yeah. I'd have to say that takes the cake.
0: Do you get the opportunity to get out that way much or?
1: Unfortunately, I've been once and that's it. Yeah. Um, we went over for the Drift Battlefest a couple of years back, uh, right before we started high tech actually. Um, and, yeah, no, that was that was an experience. I'd love to go back. They've been kind of edging me to come back every year that they have the battle fest going, and I'd love to come back. But logistically, it's it's very far away.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially okay. if your car's in Victoria. If yeah. You're like, in you're in the NT, you got to sort of go to your car and then take it over.
1: It costs about the same to go to New Zealand from Melbourne, from Melbourne to Perth at the moment. Yeah. Like it's it's crazy yeah
0: I used to used to head over there for like tournament used to play tournament paintball yeah head, o- head over there for tournaments and we actually picked up a few players from over there the first time we went over because all of the team couldn't make it so I'm like oh it was one of the things you know you could put your hands up on the forums and go hey I need a team and um, one of the teams coming over would pick you up or whatever and so yeah we yeah you know, we became really good friends with them and, and that was always a thing, you know, it was like, I would come and visit you more, but it's like going to another country now. Like <laughs> it's, it's, ridiculous, you know, like you're in the same country, but it takes you six hours to fly there. And, yeah. um, it, and you know, airfares are cheaper to go overseas. It's yeah. So it was, it was always one of those things. It was like a one trip a year sort of deal. And that was it. But.
1: Yeah. Like I actually lived at Perth motorplex for a very short stint of time. Um, around 2009 to 2010, my dad was full-time sprint car racing. Um, and yeah, we, we lived at the motorplex in the, in the B double for a little bit. And, um, yeah, as a kid, yeah, growing up at the speedway with the drag strip right there and everything, I was pretty cool living at Perth motorplex, but yeah, I'd love to go back, but yeah, it's so far away. Yeah. What a
0: cool life! Have you have you got more stories like that? Like sort of just you know camped out at other different racetracks and all that sort of gear?
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, um, throughout the years, you know, I've, I've been to race before my memory can possibly capture. But um, yeah, for, for three months of the year, we used to live at Murray Bridge Speedway. Um, we had the the full uh, B double setup, so the back trailer was uh, Dad's sprint car, the push. Suzuki Vitara um, and the front trailer was living quarters I, I have um, well there's three of us kids in in uh, our current family and uh, yes yeah, so we used to live in the top corner that like we were pretty young at the time and the mom and dad would sleep on the other half we had kitchenette we had a PlayStation 2 downstairs with a tiny little TV that we would play with and Um, yeah, so we lived at Perth Motorplex for a bit. We lived at Murray Bridge Speedway. Um, we had a stint. Oh God, where else? We've Avalon. Um, we've done a couple of Queensland trips when I was really young. Um, and Murray Bridge was where I spent the majority of the years when we were traveling. Um. Yeah, like throughout the week coming up to, to race day, my dad was the track curator for Murray Bridge for quite a while. So driving the to, um getting the track shape right, watering the track. And um, they had like um, those Gator John Deere buggies kind of thing. Yep. And yeah, my brother and I were just ripping around the speedway steering these little things. And, <laughs> um, you know, they, the speedway owned, like Murray Bridge speedway owned their own um, push cars at the time, which were – XD and XF Falcons. Um, So before I even met Danny, his eight-year-old me steering this XD Falcon around on the the go-kart track of Murray Bridge Speedway, trying to slide it around a little bit whilst dad was in the grade and yelling at us to stop being silly (laughs) before the, uh, the old push car ran out of fuel. Um, Ah, just um, yeah, we, we lived on a, um, uh, carrot and onion farm in perth for a little bit as well um so you know young me on chris on school holiday was in the sorting sheds um and that that's just the way that i lived when i was a kid you know we were traveling racing and i was doing homeschooling in the truck and it's it, that was just how life was that there, there wasn't a an alternative it's just how it happened
0: yeah it's amazing with, with COVID, like, you know, the, the homeschooling thing, with um with COVID and having, you know, children being kept at home and schooling them from home, it's amazing to see what kids can get done when that's all they've got to do and there's nothing else around them. There's no other distractions. Our kids were getting, their, like, their week's work done inside of two days. <laughs> you know, like, they just they, they just head down, us up, just into it until yeah. it was done. And then they had the rest of the week to do whatever they wanted like obviously same sort of thing. Is that right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. We, we definitely did the same thing. So when we were traveling, it was my little sister and my older brother living in, like we lived in a, truck trailer pretty much all fitted out obviously but we had a, a nice table and everything with lounges and yeah it was a school project get on the table smash it out so you could you know go work in the onion farm in western australia you could go drive buggies in murray bridge or you know there, there was always something cool to do outside for us yeah. at the time but it was just like all right get it done you know the sooner you get it done the sooner you can go have fun
0: yeah exactly that's awesome man um, so you've mentioned high-tech a few times. Um, how did, how was that sort of the last series of high-tech? I know it went for a very long time. <laughs> what, what was that like? You'd missed round five because of, was was that purely because of it being held on the peanut now? Or?
1: Yeah, logistics. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a lot of money to go drive on yeah. a skid pan. So we didn't. Yep. Um, so we're going to keep it right re- in uh colder in two weeks time instead. So we, we saved our pennies and yep. going to keep it right re- instead, but
0: it's got to make it a bit easier. You know, your car's need there anyway. So yep. that makes sense. That's one definitely hour
1: and 10 minutes away from colder. Yeah. That's, that's definitely
0: somewhere is. I've got to get to as well. I've got to get down to one of those. So.
1: Um, but yeah, the, the high tech experience so far has been pretty incredible. Um, like, yeah, I, when I was, getting into drifting, you'd watch SBS on the weekends and you'd see Scott Shemry, Bo Yates, Brad Tui, all all the, all the big names get up on, um, you, you watch Well, started as ADGP, and then went into high tech, but watching all the, the heroes, you know, do their thing on TV. And in 2019, my first ever event was in Calder, um, and I had my pop there that raced Ozcar car on the dome back in the day. Um, I had dad and Tony who had done autocross stuff there. And it was kind of surreal to hear and see and, and have that experience with everyone. And, you know, my first ever pro battle was with Scott Shembri, which was pretty cool at the time. And, you know, just started working my way through and we, we had to get used to how pro, how fast pro cars are. So we did a lot of development and had some bad luck. And then all of a sudden we, we got it right. And, you know, before the, the spicy cough kicked in, we were on the podium three times in a row. Um And, you know, we were going toe to toe with Bo Yates in the rain, Matt Van Kirk from America. Um, You know, I was, I was Brad Tui's kryptonite for a little bit there. Um, He he just couldn't, couldn't get it to stick on me. And like, it was crazy battling like the, the guys that I watched on TV as a kid, like it was that textbook story and I was living it. So yeah, it was pretty unreal. And since the Corvette, it's been a little bit, uh, not as results heavy, Um, we've, we've hadn't had that much time to develop the car. We've done so many radical changes that we like world time attack was the second event that the car ever did. Um, so we, we've done some really like crazy stuff with this car that we're still getting used to and how to get it to behave the way that we want it to. Um, so yeah, it hasn't been as results-driven, but we obviously got second at World Time Attack, top qualified in Queensland. So we're starting to, to pull it together, though.
0: Yep. It must make it difficult, too, being in a different state to the car and not getting to drive it a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. It's very, very expensive at the yeah. moment. Um, like with all the flight cancellations and accommodation and it's... It's challenging. It's a bit hard at the same time. Like the the mental state. Um, you know, I used to drive. You know, twelve to sixteen times a year. I'm back to. I've done four events in 2022. That's it. Like, yeah, yeah. I have barely gotten seat time in it. And it's as a driver, it's really hard because I feel like I'm losing touch. Like yeah. the the confidence of, you know, Oh, you know, it was only a week ago that I had this awesome run with someone. Now I'm going to go do it, you know, at a pro national level. It's, it's pretty, pretty confidence dropping, but it's just a logistical nightmare as well.
0: Yeah. Well, so, if you could change one thing about your current setup, what would it be?
1: Um, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> there's not you much that they so didn't <laughs> hold back. Yeah. Um, like the the one thing that really made the biggest difference for me that we did change was the steering rack. We doubled its ratio. So I used to have it where it was like, basically 180 degrees to full lock, which is you've probably seen the, the big wheel wobble at world time attack. Um, that was the contributor of that. Um, that was the biggest radical change that we've made. That's made a, an actual difference. Um, apart from that, um, what, what, what could you do to it? Like There's that's not much left to go on it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice. Spend more time in it then.
1: Yes, yeah, Big, the biggest team, yeah. physical investment that I could make yep. into it is being yep. in it. Yep. <laughs> nice.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got some hypotheticals to throw at you. Um, yep. I'm thinking I kind of know the answers already to, to one of them. If money was no object, what would your ultimate drift build be?
1: Pretty much what we've done,
0: yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. It was, it was kind of like the all right, let's do it properly kind of build. So, yep. yeah, it was. This is the right time, the right place. I've got the right support to do it. Let's make it happen. Yeah. So, we did it.
0: <laughs> nice. Could you? Could you? Um. Could you liken that car to anything else? You know, like the feel of it and all that sort of gear. Like, would you say it's like another type of car? Is it a car all of its own?
1: It is very much all on its own. Um, when I first was getting the idea of building a Corvette, I was messaging Matt Field, and he said it was relatively similar to the his s14 at the time which it does have a bit of s chassis feel in it um yeah i i've been daily driving the 370 for a while it's the right spacing between where your butt sits to the rear wheel and then your feet to the front of the car it's very similar in that regard but just where the weight is in the car is like nothing that i've ever driven before it's Really, the sprint car is as close as I've driven, um, right, okay. as to, to how the weight behaves in the car. Um, but yeah, seating position wise, it's practically a left-hand drive S13. That's uh, sorry, left-hand drive S13 slash 370 kind of feel. Yeah,
0: gotcha.
1: So, yeah, right.
0: Awesome. All right. So money no object again. But what would your ultimate daily be?
1: oh have i put some thought into this one um i have like this i've become a wet, like project like project car or street car was it
0: whatever you like
1: yeah so i'm moving to melbourne at the the start of next year and i've been thinking of the ultimate daily drive for a while before you even prop the question to me i was just like i've been thinking about it i'm a big wagon guy now a sick wagon, like I've been looking at VVF wagons, but doing something totally wild with the motor instead of running a V8, like twin turbo V6, but a cool one. Um, so you know, 370 motor swapping a Commodore would be different.
0: Uh, I <laughs> approve. Matt.
1: Yep, yep. Um, yeah, get rid of the the nasty old V6s that are in them at the moment. Um, or just something like a, a Volkswagen Passat wagon, convert it to rear-wheel drive and put some, you know, real cool nasty motor in it. I, I'm i just getting that vibe at the moment. Just yep. something weird and like good looking at a wagon.
0: Yeah, there's something about a wagon like I used to have. And it's, I guess it doesn't, it, it's still a wagon, but it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't <quite laughs> right. it's a small wagon. I used to have a, like a 200B wagon. Yep. Yep. And um, I love that thing. It was just a really cool cruiser, you know, like sure, it was a four-cylinder. It was auto. You just clicked it into gear and you drove it and it was such a cool cruiser.
1: Mm.
0: Um, and yeah, the same can be said for most, most wagons. So I kind of, I get I get where you're going with that.
1: Yeah, coming from the impracticality of a two-door sports car of the three seventy, yep. you can't see out of them. You can't fit anything in the back. You, they're just—they're yep. too, too small. I can't fit up my driveway uh, because my driveway is too steep and the car's too low. I've got yep. big stance wheels on there and all the silly things. And it's—I I just want something that I can actually use.
0: <laughs> well, if you want to sell that three seventy for what you paid for it, hi.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll I'll let you know in about January when I am moving. Yeah. um Yep.
0: No worries. My, my wife would kill me if I come in with something like that. As much as I'd love to, yeah, it just, gets a bit like I just, that. I need the two back seats. It doesn't need to have the doors. It just needs to have those back seats.
1: So, yeah, yep. that's where I am at.
0: Responsible adult things.
1: No, God no.
0: Awesome. <laughs> I will start to wrap up, mate. uh What advice would you give to anyone trying to get into drifting today?
1: Yeah, that's that's a bit of a tough one at the moment. Um, I think we're at a period now where going to the you know Facebook and picking up a cheap S13 isn't isn't a thing anymore. Unfortunately, in the industry that I work in, I get to see what people are actually paying for these cars, and it's it's not a thing anymore. Like what what two door sports coupe that has reasonable power, really, really good suspension base that's easy to get parts for and reliable that you can go and learn in. Like, what is there? Um, so it's a case of, you know, from the get-go, it, just be ready for the financial <laughs> culling that you're about to incur if you want to get Anything that's going to be successful from the get go um like you know jumping into a an a u wagon or a you know v six commodore you know you'll get to go out there and you'll you'll learn the basics but you know from teaching my brother to drift on the sim to him taking over my old pro car and just putting a stock ls in it you know it's it's really real like in from my own experience as well they say that you should learn in the basics and then upgrade your car as you progress. But I'm from the mentality that start with something as good as you could possibly afford, because that will be the easiest and most reliable thing to drive. Um, You know, go, go to the people that are succeeding and have open arms and listen to them Um, those of those individuals that are just hanging around the racetrack and, you know, just purposefully wrecking stuff and being like treating their stuff like absolute garbage. they're, They're probably not the right people to take advice from, you know, you've, you've spoken to Matt Harvey and Brad Tui before they're guys that I would go to. They've got, they take fantastic care of their gear. They, have spent the time in developing their cars and they're the best ones to go to advice for. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a hard time to give advice to someone starting because it's not the right time. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. We've that's got, that's the only way I can put it. There's a lot going on. We're losing a lot of stuff. We've um, yeah. The, the car market is a mess. It's an absolute mess right now. Um yeah.
1: But you've yeah. got the predicament of yeah your good drift cars are too expensive to buy. The good race tracks are kicking drifters off or shutting down in total Yeah, and people just are getting old, having families and don't want to drift anymore it's yeah. It's a really really difficult time
0: I'd, um yeah, we won't get into, <laughs> into <laughs> what, what we can do to change it because that's oh, we've we've spoken to a few few people about that and um yeah it's, it's just it's it's a fair rabbit hole to get into so
1: ten years it'll be back. Yeah. It's it's gonna have its wave. Yeah. In in another ten years there will be the next Sylvia. There will be the next Sydney Motorsports park. There will be the next everything. With, and,
0: with that, What do you think is the next Sylvia?
1: Oh, I'm daily driving it right now. Um three seventy zs are amazing like when they slump in price they are going to be crazy good um the 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 Z where the Zs are going with the 400 especially it's still heading in the right direction the super they're still heading in the right direction they we just need the community to dislike these cars enough for five to ten years to the point where they're worth nothing (laughs) (laughs) a a little bit like this 1989 sylvia that was disliked by the majority for so many years become worthless and turns out they're a really good car we just need everyone to dislike the Z and the supers and all the rear wheel drive manual you know front motor cars that are coming out we just need to get culture to think that they're bad cars until we can afford them and then buy them all up
0: and yeah.
1: then go, go in this repeat cycle again
0: <laughs> yeah fingers crossed i hope that happens
1: yes yes i'm yeah, 100 for it
0: i wouldn't mind the new Z so <laughs> <laughs> if it's 10 years down the track when i get one that's fine i'll take it
1: yep it's in my lifetime i can work with that
0: <laughs> yeah that's right awesome mate what events have you got coming up you mentioned um keep it reed is that their battle royale is that right
1: yeah, correct. The, yeah. they got the Friday night on November, uh, one of the first days of November, uh, slips my mind. it
0: be the 4th, I believe.
1: Yeah, 4th and 5th of November. So uh, it's the first time in a very long time that I've been back to Calder, so I can't wait. First Keep It Read events that I'm attending, and they've got some really, really good drivers that are attending there, some really, really good people as well that yeah. run the show. Um, so super excited for that! So I'll be competing Friday night and doing ride with a pro on the the Saturday, which I haven't taken a passenger in the Corvette at all, and I've been waiting to see what it's like for someone who lives in a right-hand drive
0: oh, yeah. com-
1: uh, country, sitting in the right-hand side and going drifting for the first time.
0: Oh, to to anyway. So go like.
1: On. I just can't wait to freak people out. I think it'll be a blast. Um,
0: (laughs) Go to the driver's side. No, no, that's yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's my side. You you go over that way. Um, And then next year, um, we are thinking about doing a select schedule. um, Just like between the high-tech stuff, the keep it read stuff. I'll be living in Melbourne by that time. um, But my parents who support me immensely we'll be still be living in darwin so um yeah without having dad there to run the car i'm not sure what kind of event selection we'll have um i would love to attend world time attack again if i get the privilege um you know a couple high-tech rounds uh, we'll cherry pick them um and yeah kind of see what what the future takes us to at the moment
0: nice man well fingers crossed for that hopefully that all works out for you um so to finish up we've got questions from past guests. Originally we we're just gonna sort of pay one on from the last guest, but we've now compiling a list. Yep. Um yep. and at the end you get to give the next guest a question, but you don't get to know who they are. So starting yeah. off kicking it off was Brad Toey with Would you rather have nipples for fingers or fingers for nipples?
1: Oh, look, I'd have to go with nipples for fingers, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. <laughs> no no explanation behind it, just that's, that's fine. Yep, we'll work with that.
0: It's got lots of nibbles. That's cool. Uh coming from Damien Lowe, Chubby of Lowe Fabrication, Holden or Ford?
1: I'm a Ford man.
0: Hey, we got another yep. one.
1: Yep. So X D at Heart. Yeah. There we
0: go. <laughs> uh, coming from Brett Williams of Enthusiast Motor Insurance. Would you if you could punch any Australian show promoter in the face, who would it be and why?
1: Um I fortunately haven't had the displeasure of having a, such an interaction with a promoter, so <laughs> I, I don't have an answer. I, nope. I like everyone that I race with.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, from a good friend of mine, Def Puppies. would you rather drive a rusted shitbox that's mechanically A1 and super reliable or something that looks a million bucks but barely ever runs?
1: It would have to be mechanically A1 yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. I figured when he asked this question, I'm like, I know where everybody's going with that because I mean you you look <laughs> anywhere now, patina's a cool thing, right? It's it's become yeah. become really well known. So everyone's gonna love a rusty shitbox anyway. That runs amazingly. So um question from Matt Harvey. Uh which car do you regret selling the most?
1: Would have to be a very similar answer to his unfortunately because I know he sold his 33 Skyline sedan yep. uh, that he was very passionate about and mine would have to be my 34 Skyline sedan yep. that I was very, very passionate about. So, yeah, I feel Matt's pain on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: All right. So coming from Aaron Gregory uh, on last, last week's episode, would you rather punch your dad or be punched by your dad?
1: Um. Yeah, look, I, I've taken a few hits for misbehaviour, so I will um, definitely receive because I know if I hit him, I know what happens to my race car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the smart choice, right? <laughs> to, to be perfectly honest, I know my place in the world and it's it's not uh, hitting my dad, so yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not to be punching dad. Nice, mate, nice. All right, so with all of those done, give us a question for next week's guest.
1: Yeah. So I had this corker thrown to me, to someone that was trying to stuff with my head one day. And it's when you're sitting on the start line, do you breathe through your nose or do you breathe through your mouth? Try and think of it. (laughs) Total head stuffer.
0: Yep. Awesome, man. That's a cool question. I can't even think of it myself.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's perfect.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to pay attention to that next time. That's, that's one of those things that it's going to stuff people up and go, oh, okay, now I'm going to have to pay attention. Yeah. And
1: then the next and, time that you, you sit on the start your mouth, right? line, you're going to miss a gear. Or you're going to stall the car <laughs> or cause you'll be too busy thinking about your breathing. Yep. You, you, uh, it got me really good. Yep. Unfortunately, I stalled the car uh, when, I, when someone pulled that on me. So yep. Next time you sit on the start line, do you breathe through your mouth or do you breathe through your nose?
0: Nice. Awesome, man. That's cool. Um, Awesome, mate. With all of that said, uh, let us know where we can find you.
1: Yeah, so I'm on most platforms, uh, Facebook, uh, Patrick Barley Drift, uh, Instagram, Patrick Barley Drift, and uh, about to jump into the YouTube side of things as well, which will be, as previously mentioned, Patrick Barley Drift. And um, yeah, my brother and I actually live stream twice a week on the simulators on the set yep. of Corsa. So if you look onto Bali Drift on Twitch, we are there twice a week, Wednesdays and Sundays and doing a bit of a chat, you know, chat and drift.
0: Nice. So your YouTube channel's already set up? The channel's there?
1: Yes. Find channel, it now, is it? Yep, cool. Channel is there. Yep, cool. Yeah.
0: But so As usual, all of those links will be in the show notes for anyone that wants to go and check them out. Um, and that way, hopefully, we sort of... Can kick a few few more subscribers off for you?
1: That'd be amazing.
0: Nice, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me, dude. It's been unreal.
1: Thank you very much for bringing me along. <laughs> no worries, man.
0: Thank you all so much for listening into this week's show. If you would like to help support the podcast, you can go to certifiedprinting.com.au forward slash shops and search for gutter to podcast merch, and there you will find a whole range of merchandise, including double and single-sided shirts and hoodies, as well as coffee mugs, tote bags, and coldie holders. You can also support the show via Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gutter podcast, if you so wish. Through there, you can ask questions and be acknowledged on the show, as well as the added benefit of knowing which guests are coming up and being able to ask those guests questions directly. Any financial support given by you is put straight back into the podcast to better the quality and give you a better listening and interactive experience. Don't forget to head over and follow gutter, to gutter podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok by searching gutter, to gutter podcast and also be sure to like and share our posts to help the podcast grow i would also love it if you would consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice i look forward to bringing you more next week so please have a great week and look after each other